Hey everyone, this time we've got a special episode where we interview union trainer and organizer Maria Cunningham of the IWW about the modern IWW, its structures, where the downturn happened, how it built up, and yeah, it's it's really interesting. If you'd like the full thing, become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. It's the only way that we get any funding for doing this show, and we genuinely appreciate it. Otherwise, here is a preview of it and solidarity yeah that's i mean obviously that's quite different than just like you know because i mean there's an organizing committee with any sort of uh union but uh to have that be the basis of struggle uh you know for in perpetuity is uh is a little bit different but another thing that i wanted to ask was you know while other unions have varying degrees of democratic structures from elections of local union officials to direct elections of like a president or executive board uh the iww certainly probably has it has its own structure that i'm actually not very familiar with so i was wondering like how its democratic elements work and kind of how the structure of the iww is these days totally um, yeah, I think we touched a little bit about that in terms of the restructuring in the 50s, and the 60s. But uh, yeah, so when you join the IWW, um, if you're within, I think it's 50 miles of a local branch, uh, then you automatically get assumed into your local membership branch. So you become a, a member of your local GMB or general membership branch, uh, unless you decide to opt out. And that gives you access to being able to democratically participate in your local general membership branch. So when you pay your dues, half of your dues get retained by your local membership branch, and the other half of the dues go to the fund for the North American Regional Administration, the International Regional Administration. Uh, Yeah, so you are able to run for any local office, and all local offices get uh, directly elected. So your local secretary, your local treasurer, all of the heads of committees, like your organizing committee, your outreach, your committees, your training committees, those are all going to have elected positions, how much, you know, and then you have these uh, general membership branch meetings. Usually most branches have them once a month where you vote on that stuff. You vote on who's going to become a delegate, uh, what positions, we're going to have elections coming up. And then you can also, you have your own general membership branches, local bylaws. So that's kind of like you have to be, you know, follow the rules of the national constitution. But that basically uh, is the the constitution for your local membership branch. Uh, and you can amend those kind of as you see fit. You know, you can always at a general membership branch meeting propose a change to your local bylaws and, and vote on that there. So in addition to that, um, you also, have, as soon as you become a member, you have the right to vote for, and you have the right to run for any national office. And there is an annual regional convention where delegates are elected by general membership branches. So you get together who you want to send to the national convention. And also all of the proposals of the amendments that people want to bring to the national convention get proposed ahead of time. So then as a local branch, you also instruct, you vote as a local branch to, to tell your delegate how they're going to vote in the national convention. And then, you know, people meet at the national convention, happens over Labor Day, they amend stuff, they uh, debate stuff, um, people run for various offices. 
some stuff gets approved, some stuff gets retracted and sent down. So after all that's done, after Labor Day weekend has passed, after all the debates are done and all of the delegates have uh, changed and amended all of their propositions, all of that then gets sent to a member-wide referendum um, that you then have the right to vote. So you can then vote for any of the stuff that gets sent there for all of the you know, proposed changes to the Constitution and stuff. Uh, members then have the right to vote that up or down. It's also your opportunity to vote on all of the heads of all of the regional boards and all of the regional positions. So you can vote on the general secretary treasurer and the department board, the members of the organizing training committee, the members of the finance committee. Uh, really, all of the positions in the IWW then get voted on by those members. So that's like kind of like uh, in terms of like the day by day administrative work on the union side, the union's democratic structure. But then also in terms of our organizing philosophy, you know, the first thing that you do when you join the IWW in an attempt to start organizing in the workplace, you start forming a democratic committee of your coworkers. So you have conversations like safe conversations away from work with your coworkers to start forming a committee. And then that committee is also going to follow the same basic rules and principles of IWW meetings in terms of its democratic representative structure um, for taking for making decisions and taking options at your workplace. Nice. One thing that I was wondering, I I feel like you've kind of laid this out already a little bit, but I, I was just curious because obviously, you know, we've talked about the fact that there are plenty of IWW like workplace bargaining units like we talked about the stardust diner there is one example um but there's also of course plenty of people who join as like at large folks because they're you know they're joining because they support the organization more broadly structurally though within the organization is there any really like distinction between you know uh like folks who are at large members and folks who are organizing or is it more that that distinction is just like at the workplace level where it's like if your shop is organized as an IWW shop, you handle that all within that shop. And, and, and then the broader IWW stuff, everybody's, you know, the same. So the question is, is there a difference between people who are joining to like, because they're joining the committee at their workplace as opposed to people that join at large? Yes. Gotcha. Not, I mean, in terms of like the power that your membership gets you, uh, there's no difference whatsoever. You know, if you join the IWW because one of your coworkers approached you uh, and they're trying to organize at the workplace, and you sign up to the IWW through there, um, you still have to pay dues like everybody else, and you are fully a member not only of your workplace organizing committee, but you're fully a member of your general membership agreements. You're fully a member of like, the North American Regional Administration, and that provides you all the same rights. You can run for any office. You can vote on position. The only real difference is how active you decide to be as a member, which mm -hmm. at-large members also get to decide you know, how active they want to be. So a lot of people uh, do just join to organize at their workplace, to be a part of their committees, um, and they don't really show up to membership meetings or you know, uh, they don't ever run to be a delegate at the national convention. They kind of keep their head down and do the bread and butter of organizing at the workplace. Interesting. So it's a very um, horizontalist kind of a, uh, organization, right? Where like all the members, essentially, whatever reason you're in, it's like, welcome in. You're on even footing with everybody else. I guess it's kind of what you would expect from an organization so heavily influenced by anarchism and the ideals of, you know, direct democratic 
types of, of uh, organizing and decision making. Definitely. Yeah. And then so when people are members, we've talked about, you know, how there is the 101 training, the 102 training. Uh, what other sorts of, of benefits are there for members to, to join the IWW, assuming they are like interested in organizing? Um, like, Are there organizers that like you, you all chat and you like try to consult with each other on difficult issues or, or what other sorts of resources, maybe even um, is there like dues that go towards making sure that people can meet? I know that when I went through an organizing campaign, the organizers would be like, pay for lunches or something like that to organize or i I mean maybe that's not the best example but uh, just kind of a a additional resources beyond the training that might be available to people who join yeah i mean absolutely i mean the iww has some of the most bare bones uh dues and dues structure in terms of like any major nlrb recognized union in the united states the iww has sub minimum minimum regular and maximum dues maximum dues cap out at I believe currently it's set at $35 a month, uh, which is like the most that you would be required to pay the IWW. And uh, sub-minimum dues are $7 a month. But you can also get a dues waiver depending on the circumstances. Um, so you compare that to, you know, membership in like, the Teamsters, the UAW, um, that take like a set percentage out of your check or have like a higher set fee depending on like your salary. They're pretty bare minimum dues. Uh, in a lot of ways, that's, deliberate because the IWW like the IWW does have sometimes your local branches can set up to have a strike fund the uh, Chicago branch has a pretty modest strike fund but generally it's not going to be like the you know United Auto Workers which you know do have a you know a significant due structure uh I wouldn't say a burdensome one you know if you look like a lot of you know a lot of uh Anti-union propaganda 101 is like talking about like how expensive dues are. Um, I think it's very important to note that like no major union in the United States has dues that are more than the difference in what you would otherwise be getting paid if you were in a non-unionized workplace. Um, You know, you're essentially always getting a raise if you have a union and you have a contract and they, you know, form your due structure based off of that. But other unions do have more sizable dues. Oftentimes, one of the reasons for that is so that they can have paid staff and paid organizers to come and paid contract negotiators uh, to come in and like organize campaigns, organize shops, people to create the contract for you, people to bargain with the employer for you, and then sizable strike funds so that when they ask you to go on strike, you're able to get a stipend of your pay for the period that you're on strike. The IWW really doesn't want there are no paid contract negotiators, no paid organizers in the IWW. Everyone who is involved, like, you know, any of the thousands of organizers in the IWW are all here. And the IWW really doesn't have a sizable strike plan. A lot of this comes down to the IWW's differing organizing philosophy. A lot of the skirting of the higher dues, the skirting paid staff, is an attempt to have a more direct relationship with the labor organization, right? The IWW organizing philosophy is not that we are a union that's going to come in, and organize your workplace, and then represent you to your employer. The IWW is an organization that you become a part of so that you can help get some support and help get some expertise in terms of trying to figure out how to organize at your workplace. But 
the union is only ever comprised of you and your coworkers. You are always going to be the union and it's always going to be on your shoulders. It's going to be your responsibility to do that organizing, to do the arguing on your behalf, to change the conditions at the workplace so that, you know, it's always the demands and wishes of your, of you and your coworkers that are being represented to your management. Um, really the goal of the IWW is to build worker power. Uh, directly in the workplace so that the rank and file members of the workplace have more power. Union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, 